Hello, and welcome to the Wild Heart Meditation Center podcast. We release these episodes every week on Wednesday mornings, and the best way to support us is by clicking subscribe and taking a moment to rate the podcast wherever you are listening. If you'd like to support our efforts to keep the nonprofit Meditation Center open in Nashville, you can donate via Venmo by sending your donation to at Wild Heart Nashville, or you can make a donation through our website, wildheartmeditationcenter.org, by clicking the Donate tab. Peace and love. Hope you enjoy. So this morning I will be offering the meditation instructions that we will be practicing for the first half of the day. We will be training in the first foundation of mindfulness, which is the establishment of mindfulness in the body and the breath. From the Buddhist perspective, training in the first foundation of mindfulness supports two things. It supports the development of concentration, which promotes tranquility, calm, And it also supports the refining of your awareness, which supports insight and the development of wisdom, which is the liberating quality of the Buddhist teaching of mindfulness. The first foundation is, as it might suggest, it's a foundation, it's a basis, it's a part of our practice that we never graduate from. Just like any other skill you might develop in your life, you start with the fundamentals and you don't leave the fundamentals, you just grow on top of them. And so throughout the week, we always have access to the body and the breath as a true refuge. Even the Buddha was reported as saying, one time when some of the disciples had asked him, why does he meditate if he's enlightened? What practice does he do when he goes on retreat? And his attendant was confused and went to the Buddha and asked him, what do you do when you sit retreat if you're enlightened already? Why would you still meditate? And the Buddha said, if anyone should ever ask what I do, what practice I partake in on retreat, he said, you should tell them that I practice mindfulness of breathing and that it is a divine abode, a sublime abiding, beautiful here and now. So if it's good enough for the Buddha, it's good enough for me. And today I'm going to just kind of talk a little bit about why mindfulness of the body and the breath and really talking about the thinking problem. Have you all noticed the thinking problem? And then I'm going to talk about the fundamentals of mindfulness and how it solves the thinking problem and talking about the cultivation of present awareness through the first foundation of mindfulness. So then I'm going to talk about the practice for today and the practice that we'll be focusing on this morning. I've been teaching meditation for about 10 years. 
And early on in my teaching, I was trained to quote the experts. And one of the bits of research that I was trained to quote was this kind of popular reference that psychologists had said that they estimate that on any given day we have between 50 and 70,000 thoughts that occur. Uh, that was just an estimation. But I find, uh, found recently, I found out that there's a new study that comes out of Queen's University in Canada where some of the brain scientists and expert psychologists there actually found a way to monitor our brain activity and specifically looking at what they call thought worms. And they could actually quantify the moment when a new thought began and when a previous thought ended. And they found that we had 6,200, so 6,200 discrete thoughts that occur in one day. So for me, the difference between having 6,000 thoughts and 50,000 thoughts is, still sounds pretty miserable. <laughs> still sounds pretty busy. And it's cool because we do have modern neuroscience and they can quantify, they can look at our brain and they can map and you know, see things more in an observational and visual way. But what's really fascinating to me is that the Buddha discovered this capacity that we have, this kind of more objective monitoring that we can partake in called mindfulness, where we can actually observe these thoughts directly. We can watch them come and go. We can see when we get sucked up into the emotion of a thought. Tara Brock calls this the trance. And we can learn to step back from the stream of our thoughts, the usual succession of the future, and the past, and the fantasy, and the self-narrative. And the Buddha discovered this 2,600 years ago by sitting down and seeing what happens. There's a teacher, one of Joseph Goldstein's teachers, Manindraji, and Manindraji has a very simple way of putting the teachings. And he said, if you want to understand your mind and how you suffer, then you just have to sit down and watch it. Oftentimes in meditation, we're met with these uh, kind of expectations that we have for the practice and assumptions of what the practice should be. And these can be really detrimental to our confidence in building our faith in the practice. One of the biggest myths over time that you hear time and time again is that meditation is supposed to help you clear your mind to stop thinking. But what the Buddha discovered is that mindfulness isn't a tool to stop thinking. As a matter of fact, I don't think that there's a way to do that, nor that we would really want to do that. The thinking mind is certainly helpful at times. But that mindfulness is a way to step back and observe thinking 
and also to learn how to have a healthy boundary with the thinking mind, to learn how to break the addiction to the thinking mind. Because the attention has become habituated to thinking. And if we're not mindful, we just follow and find our mind flowing from one thought into the next thought, into the next thought. And during a meditation retreat, this is par for the course. We see the mind's karma. We see the nature of the thinking mind. And so we want to develop some quality of an attitude of kindness and gentleness and equanimity in our approach to the practice. It's just the mind. The mind gets paid to think, and it's just trying to do its job. But the attention never really clocks out. It never, if without mindfulness, it never really gets a break, and it deserves a break. But the attention doesn't believe it deserves a break, and so we've got to encourage it through the development of the practice we're going to do today. Mindfulness of the body and mindfulness of the breath. It's like the break room for the attention. So one of the discoveries that the Buddha made in his quest to free himself from suffering was first to figure out, well, what causes it? Don't worry, I'm not going to go into the Four Noble Truths right now, but the summary of what causes suffering is the mind. This reactionary stress that we experience in the thinking mind. He says it's the mind that gets caught up and captivated in this and that, in the future plans. I call it the if-onlys, or the I'll be happy when. It gets caught up in the past, in the coulda, shoulda, wouldas, what I coulda done, what I shoulda done, what I wish I would have done. It gets caught up in fantasy, the fantasy of I'd rather be somewhere else doing something else. And also, it gets caught up in our self-made stories. So what do we do with the thinking mind? The Buddha calls this the monkey mind, and he has a sutta where he says, there are in the Himalayas, the king of mountains, level stretches of land that are delightful with monkeys and humans wandering side by side. In such spots, hunters will set traps in the monkey's tracks in order to catch some of them. The monkeys who are not foolish and careless by nature, meaning the monkeys that have mindfulness, the minds that are full of mindfulness, when they see a tar trap, they avoid it from afar. But any monkey who is foolish and careless by nature comes to the tar trap and grabs it with its paw. And they get stuck there, thinking, I'll free my paw, so they grab it with their other paw. And they get stuck there, thinking, I'll free both my paws, so they grab it with their foot. 
they get stuck there thinking I'll free both my paws and my foot, so they grab it with their other foot. They get stuck there thinking I'll free both my paws and both of my feet, so they grab it with their mouth. And then they're stuck there, snared in five ways, fallen on misfortune, fallen on ruin, a prey to whatever the hunter wants to do with them. Then the hunter, in this metaphor, is stress and suffering. Without releasing the monkey, skewers them right there, picks them up, and goes off as the hunter likes. We can't solve the thinking problem with more thinking. Figuring it out or fixing the mind with the mind. We have to return to the body and to the breath and to the present moment. And this is a sublime abiding, as the Buddha says. It's a refuge, always here. So to be clear, the problem is not that we have thoughts, it's that we get swept up into our thoughts. And meditation isn't about clearing the mind, it's about getting space from the mind so that we can see it clearly. Earlier I'd said that we will be training in the first foundation of mindfulness. In the Buddhist time, they didn't have a word for what we call meditation. The word that they used instead was bhavana, which means something more like cultivation. So meditation is not this passive thing. It's something that we cultivate. It's a training. And especially in the beginning of practice or at the beginning of retreat, what we're training is we're training our attention. to be more connected and sustained with our direct experience. And we do this through the body and the breath. So this will be your practice for today. We will connect and sustain our awareness, remember and return back into the direct experience of sound, hearing, if you're born with the ability to hear, your ears are always hearing. Connecting and sustaining the attention with the felt sensations of the body. I like to notice the weight of the body, the weight of the hands resting, the weight of your butt in the chair or the seat. One of the most simple and profound meditation instructions as you're sitting Know that you're sitting. Sometimes it's a, a little annoying how something so simple can be so hard. They say simple, not easy. <laughs> sitting, know that you're sitting. And breathing, knowing that you're breathing. And we have to talk about the reality that the attention is highly habituated towards thinking. So there's an importance of being gentle, non-judgmental, and kind to the thinking mind. 
one guarantee or your money back, your mind will think today. And it's not preventing the mind from thinking. That is the goal. It's the recognition of when it is thinking. And not even just recognizing, but the way that we recognize. Oh, there you are, mind. I see the story, the plan, the memory, the thought. It's okay. How about we clock out? Back to the breath, back to the body. The Buddha says in the Satipatthana Sutta, the discourses on mindfulness, at the very beginning he says that we can set aside our desires and discontent for the world. This is a really beautiful intention, is for the next five days, as impossible as this is, our aspiration is that you actually don't have to think about anything that's happening outside of the moment. That's pretty radical. The person back home, the job, the... There's a time and place to think about those things. And it can be really beneficial to set aside our desire and discontent just for right now, just for this retreat. So how to practice. The Buddha says, first, you want an environment that's conducive to meditation. And we'll take a Buddhist monastery if we can get one. It's pretty suitable here. It's quiet. We've got good sangha, wonderful retreat managers that have set up and supported the retreat. So we can support one another in the retreat through the schedule and through the noble silence. And it actually, most importantly, through our practice. Because when you show up, I'm more likely to want to show up too. So the environment that's conducive to the retreat is our commitment to the practice and to the container of the retreat setting. How to practice. One note about posture. So there are a lot of different ways that you can practice the formal sitting meditation posture. There's no right or wrong way to sit. I used to look at the teachers and just twist my legs into a knot thinking I was gonna really fucking meditate right if I sat like that. And then I would experience all of this pain and think everyone else in the room was meditating except for me. They were having this blissful, serene, peaceful experience and I was just sitting with a leg that was dead. <laughs> now it's true, pain is a part of our practice. It's trying to soften into the pain and trying for today to let it be in the background as we attune into the breath and we soften into the body and the places of contact, the hands, the butt, the feet, opening into the sounds. But for posture, it's a good idea to sit in a way that is upright and supported. It can even be helpful throughout the meditation. I notice I get the, I call it the meditator's lean. Just slowly over time, my body 
is either so deep in concentration or so tired <laughs> that I just start to lean. It can be nice to notice the intention to adjust and taking a breath and just returning back into the posture from time to time. Because the instructions aren't technical. You know, it's just the body, noticing the body, feeling the body. So returning to the posture can be a great way to reconnect with that instruction. It's a way of noticing the body. So sitting in a way that's upright without being too rigid or stiff. They say an upright body supports an upright mind. You'll notice that your energy is a little bit more engaged when the posture is upright. The mind is a little bit more alert and more curious when the body is upright. You can sit in a lot of different ways, so we'll kind of model some of them. Marika, would you mind? Currently, Marika is sitting in what we might call the Burmese style, which is where one leg is in front of the other. And um, it's a supportive posture. You can you know, try out a couple of these if you'd like throughout the meditation. Understanding that they will all become uncomfortable at some point. And then there is the half lotus, which is putting one leg on top of the other. This is how I sit for no particular reason other than I thought I was supposed to sit this way, and so now I sit this way. Can you do it? And we've got full lotus posture. Uh, it's like a trifold, puts your knees on the ground, which can be helpful, and it obviously will support your lower back and arching and your body being more upright. Um, Maybe hard for most of us. So. Then we have the uh, Zazen style. This is how they sit in um, most forms of Zen Buddhism, which is on your knees. Some people choose to stack an extra cushion, or I actually prefer like a blanket on top and uh, getting elevated a little bit when I'm on my knees. You can sit on a cushion, you can sit in a chair. Um, there's no more noble place to be. So if you find you wanna to transition to a chair throughout the retreat, that's okay. You may find yourself becoming tired during meditation. That's okay, we can develop some kindness and gentleness with the sleepiness that happens. It can be actually really insightful and interesting to try to be mindful even when you're sleepy. And so you are invited, if you would like to stand in the meditation hall, if at any point you find that you're especially tired and you would like to stand up and practice standing meditation, You can sit in meditation with your eyes closed or open, whichever you prefer. Again, I usually will open my eyes when I'm tired first and let a little bit of the light in and still practicing with the mindfulness of the breath, the mindfulness of the body, mindfulness of the sound. But now my eyes are open, so there's seeing happening as well. Um, I also will open the eyes if I get particularly restless or agitated during meditation. It just kind of helps to just include the space around the body, just to kind of open the awareness a little bit. 
Sometimes I get this, what I call the meditator's claustrophobia, where everything just seems to be happening in here. And opening the eyes can help to widen into the space of the room. So anchors for today, the, the focal points of our practice are things that are already occurring. So they're not anything you need to do. There's not anything that you need to go get or you know, work hard for. It's more of a attunement and a listening into something that's already here. I like to say that I want you to imagine like it's a friend that you haven't seen in a while. The sounds and you're really, really interested in just letting the sounds come through your awareness of hearing. Maybe we can do that for a second. available hearing throughout the morning sessions. We can also notice the contact points of the body, so maybe taking a moment to just feel into, I call it mindfulness of gravity, the weight of the body. I even noticed when I started to be curious about the weight of my body, my shoulders softened a little bit. So much of the time the awareness seems to be up towards the top of my body. And sometimes I like to imagine that the awareness is lower down in my body. It's almost like I could be aware from my hips, my legs. mindfulness of hearing, mindfulness of the body, and mindfulness of the breath. The breath is a really helpful meditation object because for most of us, unless there's an illness that, that you're experiencing, sinuses or something like that, the breath, first, it tends to happen in many different areas of the body. So you can notice it at the nostrils, you can notice it at the mouth, you can notice it at the back of the throat, you can notice the rise and fall of your chest, and the rise and fall of your stomach, your abdomen. And the breath tends to be relatively neutral, or we can tend to usually find some place in the body where the breath is neutral. Even if I have allergies and sinus issues, my breath, I can notice just at the rise and fall of my abdomen. It's more neutral there. The breath is also dynamic. There's an inhalation and an exhalation. Isn't it interesting that many people in this, in this world, in this lifetime, may not experience a 
sustained moment of mindfulness long enough to notice the full length of an inhalation and the full length of an exhalation. An intentional moment of breathing. So in the development of mindfulness of breathing, the Buddha talks about these two characteristics. What we can translate, the words are vitaka and vichara, but we can translate them into connection or connecting and sustaining. I like the action words, connecting and sustaining. So when your mind wanders during meditation, the moment that you notice that it's wandering, is a moment of mindfulness. It's a moment to celebrate. It's not an, oh crap, my mind's wandering, I'm doing it wrong. It's a, oh, I'm aware my mind's wandering. Mindfulness, nice. Yes. And then we want to connect with the breath. So take a moment and notice where you feel your breath coming and going most predominantly in your body. you don't really look hard, you just feel the breath that's already happening. Just notice, where do you feel it? And let's hear it out loud. What are some of the places that you notice your breath? Back of the throat. Back of the throat. Belly. The belly. Nostrils. Nostrils. Chest. Heart space. And the heart center, yeah, heart space, nice. Yeah, so it doesn't matter where we notice it. Just listening into the breath that's already occurring and connecting and sustaining the awareness. Staying for the full length of the inhalation, the full length of the exhalation. This is really the Buddha's teaching on how to deepen concentration. It's the lingering in the sensation of the breath. At the beginning of the day, you may only be able to really follow one or two full cycles of the breath. That's okay. Over time, it may be three or four. We're not counting, no one's grading, you know, but it may be interesting just to notice how long can I actually stay with the cycles of inhalation and exhalation? And of course, the challenge arises in the fact that the mind wants nothing to do with the breath. You may even be noticing some doubt now. You may notice in the mind saying, the breath's boring. How's that going to help me? And so we connect with the breath with curiosity, like it's a friend that we hadn't seen in a while. We really want to listen in, connect and sustain with it. So trying it out, instead of trying not to think, try to be curious about the breath. Just ignore the mind. It's not like you're not trying to think, it's you're preferring the breath. 
not disapproving of the mind. Does that make sense? It's like, which side of the coin do you want to look at? Some people may find it helpful to use a gentle note or label, the word in on the inhalation or out on the exhalation. That's fine if you prefer to do that. Some people find once you use labels, it just gets too thinky for you, so you don't need to use labels if you don't want to. That's fine as well. So does this make sense? The, the practice today is the body, the breath, we'll call it anything but thinking. Thinking will happen, okay, fine. The body is here. The sounds are here. So if at any point you get confused about the meditation instructions, opening into the sounds, just noticing hearing, feeling the body, feeling the breath. The Buddha has taught me to be very repetitive with the instructions. So this is our practice, is repetition throughout the day. And this morning's practice that we will do um, now, feel free to stretch your legs for a moment, is going to be focused on mindfulness of breathing specifically, knowing that you can use sound, you can use the weight of your body as other anchors of your practice. These are some wise words on balancing our attitude and our effort in practicing mindfulness by Sayadaw Utejaniya. He says, wise effort in meditation simply means to keep reminding yourself to be aware. Wise effort is continuous effort. It's not energy that's used to focus hard on something. That striving. Instead, it is an effort that's simply directed at remaining aware. It is not difficult to be aware or to be mindful. It is difficult to maintain it continuously. For this, you need wise effort, which is simply perseverance. So we'll practice together. If you want to find a way to sit within your body's natural ability, it's upright. 
finding a posture that's suitable. Taking a moment to check in with the posture, just noticing if you want to rock the body side to side, any movement that you want to invite into the body to allow the body to relax around the upright spine. You may choose to gently close the eyes or have a soft gaze towards the floor in front of you. And bringing your full attention to the physical sensations of sitting still. There's nowhere to go, nothing to do, there's no right or wrong way to be right now. Allowing your breathing to be natural. beginning to scan through the body, bringing your attention to the head, releasing any tension in the face, in the jaw, scanning the body slowly downward. softening any tension that you may find in the shoulders and the chest, the diaphragm, the stomach. Feeling into the lower body, into the pelvis, softening any tension or tightness that you may find in the thighs, in the knees, the shins, the calves, all the way through the bottom of the feet. So not forcing the body to relax, inviting it to relax.
bringing your full attention to the present time experience. Just noticing the full range of sensations that are happening here. Noticing the sounds, the body is already hearing. Noticing the weight of the body, the hands weight of the body in your seat. As you're sitting, feeling the body sitting. everything to be as it is. Direct your attention to the sensations of breathing. Let all sensory experiences fall into the background as you bring awareness of breathing into the foreground. Noticing where you feel the breath most easily. Maybe at the nose, at the chest, or the stomach, somewhere else. Just finding the place where you feel the breath coming and going. And use that area of the body as the primary object of your attention. Just picking one point one location and sticking with it.
body is already breathing. Breathing in, know that it's breathing in. Breathing out, know that it's breathing out. Of course, you'll notice that the attention will be drawn back into thinking over and over. It's the mind's natural tendency is to think. Each time the attention wanders back into the thinking aspect of the mind, let the thinking fall back into the background as you bring mindfulness of breathing into the foreground of your awareness. If you like, it may help to silently label what the word in on the inhalation and or out on the exhalation or using the phrases rising and falling with each inhale and exhale. If you like, you can try that practice for a period of time and then drop those labels the most important thing is to feel the direct experience of the body breathing itself. Breathing in, knowing that you're breathing in. Breathing out, knowing that you're breathing out.
you connect and sustain the attention with the breathing body, it's important to bring a quality of kindness and understanding into the practice. Being kind and gentle towards this experience, however it is. Breathing in, calming the mind. Breathing out, softening the body. breath with the curiosity that we might have after seeing a friend that we haven't seen in a very long time, hanging on every word, intimate and close, listening with the whole awareness, breathing in, knowing the in-breath. Breathing out, knowing the out-breath.
bringing the attention back to the simple sensations of breathing over and over. Breathing in, know that the breath is coming into the body. Breathing out, know that the breath is leaving the body. <clears throat> 